Good morning, Mosaic. My name is Punky, and this is my daughter, Penny. It is a joy to be worshiping with you today. Um, will you remain standing as we read today's scripture? Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all those people. And the Lord added their number daily who those were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What's happening, party people? It's good to see you. It's always good to see you. What a powerful text. I feel extremely emotional when I read this text and I engage not only the content of the text, but the implications of the text. Because the implications convince me that I'm part of a legacy. That there is more than tradition and historical rhythms that I'm connected with. See, when we read this text in Acts chapter 2, it's only a few days from the day that Jesus was executed. And already lives have been changed. It didn't take long. And as we read this and as I um, engage it in my heart and in my spirit, I realize that what we're seeing is more than just traditions. What we're reading is a response to the gospel. And I am wondering if the gospel is still being proclaimed in such a powerfully emphatic way that folk are responding. One of my pastor friends asked me a question a few years ago. This was in, I think, 2018. It was an odd question. He was asking this to a lot of his other church planning friends, and it was out of his own personal frustration. He asked this question, is anybody getting saved? <laughs> that even, that, that vocabulary, that language, even sounds foreign, saved. Right? When was the last time you went to a getting saved meeting? Right? <laughs> it's a little bit odd. But did my microphone just go away? Completely and thoroughly? 
Whatever I did, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> Give God praise for our tech team. Check one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Da 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 Living in the Pacific Northwest as a California kid has given me some interesting firsts in my life, and I want to share one of those because I think it applies to legacy. Now I'm an artist, and so I'm going to connect two points that most people wouldn't see a connection, all right? My wife and I were in Astoria. We were walking downtown, old town, beautiful town, and we stumbled across a bakery. I walked in, and I had my eyes set on a glazed donut. And I was looking in the, the case of all of the pastries and I came across something that I had never seen before. This changed my life. I saw for the first time blueberry donuts. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but trust me, this is must eat cuisine. I'd never seen a blueberry donut before. So I engaged in a conversation, and I wanted to know more about these donuts. And the owner of the bakery is an artist. He got up every, th it was always on Thursdays. He'd get up early on Thursday, oh, dark 30. And whatever he thought about making for the day, he was going to make a specialty something. So blueberry donuts was a part of those specialty items that he would make from time to time. It wasn't a normal, regular menu item. Every now and then, you could get a blueberry donut. And I happened to be, God loves me. <laughs> I happened to be there on the day that he made blueberry donuts that morning. So you could imagine every time I have been back to the coast, I have gone to that bakery looking for blueberry donuts. And the first time I returned was on a different day other than Thursday, and they didn't have any blueberry donuts. I need you to feel my pain right now. And that's when I was told, no, 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 he does this every now and then on Thursdays. And I was uh, fascinated by this. This was something he was known for. He, he was known in the community for this. He'd been doing this for decades. I went back one other time, and I saw some blueberry donuts and got some, but the next time I went, there was a sign on the door, and the bakery was temporarily closed. It's because the owner had a stroke, and he wasn't able to create anymore. And there was uh, some information about a GoFundMe campaign to raise money for his medical costs. And there was something about that that, um, that I began to think about and, and to really ponder because that temporary closing of the bakery eventually became permanent. And I wondered why is it that they closed. You ever 
See that restaurant that you drive by all the time and you're convinced one of these days I'm going to go there? And then sometime in the middle of 2020, you drove by and there was, they were boarded up windows because <laughs> it didn't make it in the pandemic. Why is it that it closed? Why didn't it last forever? Somehow, some way, uh, someone determined that this business that I do, this art that I create, I want to hand it down to the next generation so that they can keep it going. And then from time to time, the next generation says, thank you, but no thank you. I got better things to do than to make my life about making blueberry donuts. And it has occurred to me that when we read this text from Acts chapter 2, there was a group of people that responded to the gospel in such a way that it was more than traditions or historical practices that they began to do. They began to embody the life and teachings of Jesus. They took it seriously. And as a community, they became living legacies of Jesus. They recognized that if anybody was going to eat blueberry donuts, it was going to be because we were going to make them. And they're going to be delicious. And we're going to be known for this. I, I want you to consider Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through the end as the believer's response to the gospel. They are living out their legacy. We don't talk about legacies very often. Even when I say legacy, don't it just sound British? <laughs> yes, I have a legacy. I was given a legacy. And I don't have to spend any money on bills anymore. A legacy. It's a gift something that's given to you. But with that gift becomes a responsibility as well. So the crown, the royal crown, is a legacy. When you come to the throne, they congratulate you. Welcome to the throne. You're a millionaire, right? You get lots of money, but with the money comes responsibility. And I wonder, do believers today feel like we have a legacy? That we are connected to something greater than ourselves? That it is more than just, I got saved. Yeah. Acts chapter 2. Let's do a deep dive. Take your eyes, draw your eyes to the text, Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves. And they, who's the they? Who are we talking about? The they are the people who they were standing in the, in the multitudes in the city of Jerusalem when Peter and the other apostles stood up. 
and told them, you men of Judea and the surrounding areas of the world that was represented, there were devout men, Acts 2 verse 5 says, there were devout men from every place around the globe, Jews from everywhere, they were represented in the city of Jerusalem. There are some estimations of more than a million transit people that showed up for Pentecost and it happens every single year. And these, these 11 stood in front of this crowd and they began to speak and they said, you know, the one we've been looking for, that, that hero, that Messiah, the one that was going to come and rescue us to bring and establish the kingdom again. Yeah, he came. He was here. And you killed him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on one Sunday, you were, you, were, you were yelling out, Hosanna. And a few days later, you were screaming, crucify him. God has made that same Jesus who you crucified. Listen to how personal Peter makes it. You did this. It was your responsibility. You devout Jews who you came to the city of Jerusalem because of the law of Moses. That's the reason why you showed up. You came here because of tradition, because of practices, a rhythm that you have embraced. God has made the Jesus who you crucified, Lord, and Christ, these are the same people that we're now reading and we're using the pronoun they, they, and they devoted themselves. I know that there are some things, some, some practices, some causes, something that you are connected to, that you are devoted to. It is important to you. It's more important than other things. Nick and Maya are devoted to having a baby. Devoted. And I would recommend they, they have devotionals often. <laughs> it's more important than other things, right? It's, it's not just something that I do. Talking about something, someone who's a part of who we are. And I want you to notice that these folk, these 3,000 men plus who said yes to Jesus, I'm going to follow that guy. I'm going to learn from him. I want, I want to obey him. I want to serve him. As a response, to the gospel. Verse 42 of Acts 2 says they devoted themselves. Yes, they had different practices, they had rhythms, but there was a devotion to this thing. It was more than on my to-do list. Jesus gave everything as a response to what Jesus did, 
I am going to give him everything. That is what happens in Acts chapter 2. How did they devote themselves? Here's where we, we can see these four different areas where they responded to the gospel. I want you to look at these four, not just as things to do, as some optional activities of ministry, but I want you to see them as this is the way that brand new believers responded to the gospel. Four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In the Greek language, and full disclosure, I know enough Greek to be dangerous. But in the Greek text, that article, the, or the, depending on which part of the nation you were born, uh, it's in the Greek text. It is the apostles' teachings. We have the legacy of the apostles' teachings here in written form. And in the, the beginning of the church, the launch of the, the launch of the church, they devoted themselves, they faithfully learned about Jesus as a response to the gospel. I, I want you to do more than just hear a message about a text that you've already read before. I want you to see that if the gospel has really changed your life, it'll show. And for them, here's how it showed. First, they faithfully learned about Jesus as a response to the gospel. I sit down, I stand, I drive, however you do it, and I hear about what he said and what he did. Perhaps you recall when John the Baptist was in jail. He was in prison. Herod, king, put him in prison for preaching truth. And John the Baptist was concerned about why he gave his whole life to this man, Jesus, his cousin, and it got him in jail. And so he asked his own disciples, go and ask Jesus this question. Are you really the one? Or did I miss this thing? Should I go looking for somebody else? <clears throat> Jesus told John's disciples, go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. I believe when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, what the apostles taught them was what they saw and heard. I know about Jesus because I have learned from the apostles' teaching. I do it with devotion. It's important. I can't live without it. It's a part of who I am. If I don't do this, if I don't respond in this way, how will my community hear and know the gospel? How will they know good news, receive good news? 
accept good news. If I don't live Jesus in my life, I am a part of this thing and this is how I respond. They first, they learned about Jesus from the apostles. Keep reading. We're still in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Do you see the word the? The fellowship. Not just a fellowship. The fellowship. They they committed themselves to a togetherness as a response to the gospel. Yeah. That's why I plant roots at Mosaic and I'm here with you. I am loved by you and I love you. I am poured into by you and you allow me to pour into you. We experience everything together. Let me say it like this. The people of God at Mosaic know me. There is nothing more disturbing the the very opposite of the power of the gospel than a believer who's at a church and nobody knows them. Why should I join a church, be a part of a church, and not be known? I can do that and not go to church. You know how many football games I'm missing on Sunday morning? (laughs) But they were together, and their togetherness, they were so together that it served as their response. It was one of the ways that they devoted themselves. We go the extra mile into the weeds, you know, we go to the details about what it means to be together and and all the the items that we're going to quickly go over in, in a few moments. And we get stuck on all of those things and we don't recognize that my lack of togetherness with the people of God is saying something about what I believe is important in my life. So they were responding in their togetherness to the gospel. Third, look at this. The apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Do you see that? You know, when I'm sitting down eating bread by myself, I don't have to break it. I mean, it only makes sense for me to break it when I'm eating it with you. Ah. The breaking of bread. They shared Community meals together as a response to the gospel. Yeah. Are we talking about communion? Yes. Are we talking about Korean fried chicken? Yes. 
please, yes. <laughs> together. We're having a meal to, together. We're breaking bread together. There's something about being around the meal table that folk let their hair down and you find out who they really are. Yeah. And as a response to the gospel, y'all listen to me. They ate with one another. They hung out together. You show me a church that's pathetic about the gospel in their community, I'll show you a church filled with folk that don't hang out with one another. That's the reason why we stick around the building for so long on Sundays, because we ain't seen one another in seven days. But what if, as a response to the gospel, this Jesus has saved me, he's given me everything, he's changed my life, I respond to that by the way I hang out with you. And then fourth, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Do you notice it says, and the prayers? The prayers. There's a formality to the prayers. We have reduced the prayers to prayers. And for these believers that launched the church of Jesus Christ, there was a gathering that they would come together and they would say, I was on the front row over here. And as you were singing, I was singing. Yeah. I was trying to outsing all of y'all. <laughs> you know, we have that in common. Yeah. It's your breath in my lungs. The body of Christ. The prayers. Singing together is not just the setup for the sermon. It is a response to the gospel. When we pray, it is a response to the gospel. When we hear about opportunities to be together, are you kidding me? It's a response to the gospel. We have to understand that in the city of Jerusalem, they just killed the Lord of glory. And I'm responsible. I did it. You killed him, the text says. How in the world do I respond to that? Well, it was clear to them. Men and brothers, what should we do? Oh, man, they responded in obedience. And those who responded in obedience, their life, the way that they lived, it became a legacy of Jesus. It was more than just traditions and historical rhythms and practices. If you hear me saying that that's a bad thing, you're not listening. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying 
that you and I are the living legacies of Jesus. If this town knows anything about blueberry donuts, it's because of us. You get it? Now look around Portland. Would you say that Portland is all about the gospel? And all I'm saying is they're going to know Jesus. It's because we step up and we take the gift as well as the responsibility to make blueberry donuts. I want to end like this. A band director named Lawrence P. Fogelberg, he was high school and community college and a university band director. Back in the 40s, he started, uh, and he passed away uh, in 1976. And throughout that whole uh, span, he poured into kids. He loved music, taught music, every kind of band scholastic band experience that you could think of, he led that. Stage band and municipal bands in the city and marching bands. I can relate to that because I was a marching band guy. He had a son named Daniel. And as the story goes, he loved Daniel and Daniel loved his dad. Lawrence began to teach and to pour into Daniel music. And he began to show him opportunities to not only learn music, but to experience music. And the older that Daniel got, the more he recognized that music was more than just something to do. It was a part of who he was, just like dad. He was four years old, and his dad, the band director of a university band, had his four-year-old son come up and direct the band. Fascinating. In 1981, this kid, Daniel, wrote a song, and he produced it and he released it to the world. And I love the music of Daniel Fogelberg, or Dan Fogelberg. And he wrote a song called Leader of the Band. Listen to the chorus. The leader of the band is tired, and his eyes are growing old, but his blood runs through my instrument, and his song is in my soul. My life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man. I'm just a living legacy to the leader of the band. I love this song. I love the message of the song. Dan recognized that his father gave him more than just a gift. He now had a responsibility, kind of like the crown, kind of like blueberry donuts in a small community in Northwest Oregon. And I'm wondering if we will recognize 
that Jesus has given the world a legacy. And we're it. Holy Father, I want to know you. I want to know your son, Jesus. I want him to be more than just a religious leader. I want him to be everything in my life because he has given everything for us. And I recognize that he saved me, but more than that, he has given to me everything about himself, even his Holy Spirit, the fullness of himself, I have the opportunity to embody the fullness of Jesus. But do I want it? And how will I respond to that? And as I examine my life, is my life a reflection of Jesus? Is my life, the things that I say, the things that I do, the things that I value, the things that are important to me, if someone looks at me, do they see in me that this guy, he, he embodies good news? I want that. I desire that. I desire that for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. We eat and we drink. And these are, these are symbols. These are um, they're hyperlinks to the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. It is what he did. Oh, and praise God because we lack the ability to do it ourselves. I continue to be fascinated and humbled by Paul's pointed and brilliant message to the church in Corinth. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to the legacy. Feel the legacy. This is not a members only club and our responsibility is to recruit new members on a part-time basis. This ain't that. This is the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the king. And he gave the world a legacy. And can you believe it? You're it. When you eat and when you drink at this supper, ask him, how are you doing? with his legacy. Because that's what I'm going to do as I eat and drink with you this morning.